Thessalonians 3, 7 through 9. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. Doug, <laughs> were both of your sons Eagle Scouts? They were both Eagle Scouts. I, I was thinking about this uh, that idea about Eagle Scouts and Boy Scouts and a lot of jokes about wholesome men being called or referred to as Boy Scouts, but there's honor in that. And so I started thinking about the, the, the Eagle Scouts, the highest honor that you can get. And I, and I read that 5% of Boy Scouts who start out in Boy Scouts make it to an Eagle Scout, to be an Eagle Scout. The first Eagle Scout medal was awarded in 1912, 1912 to Arthur Rose Eldred. He was 17 years old. He gets this letter in the mail, says that he has approved, that he has earned this honor of being an Eagle Scout. His son becomes an Eagle Scout, his grandson as well. So three generations of Eagle Scouts. But that might not mean much to you, uh, if, if you if you're not familiar with scouting. And I'm not familiar with scouting. I was a Cub Scout and that was it. Um, I made a macaroni Troy. Uh, and that's, that's all I remember from it. And, and so scouting uh, it takes, takes a while to get to this rank. And I'm going to read just some of the requirements to become an Eagle Scout. Rank of Eagle Scout may be earned by a Boy Scout who's been a Life Scout for at least six months. Earning a minimum of 21 merit badges uh, has demonstrated scout spirit, demonstrated leadership within his troop. T team, crew, or ship. Additionally, he must plan, develop, lead a service project. 21 merit badges, 13 are required. Camping, citizenship in the community, citizenship in the nation, citizenship in the world, communications, cooking, which is very important um, for, for a guy to do, really. Uh, emergency preparedness or life-saving environmental science or sustainability, family life, first aid, personal fitness, personal management, swimming, hiking, or cycling. Just, just a few things that you have to master. And then that service project. Do you, was it James and Stephen both that did this service project out here in the parking lot? Do you remember that? Several years ago, we used to have this wooden structure that held our trash cans. And it was great. It was very sturdy for, for a long time. But the boys, uh, in getting their, their Eagle Scouts uh, badges or, or their ranks, they uh, Stephen and, and James Thompson built this uh, structure for us. And, and it was a service project, and the, the parameters are it, that it's an opportunity for the scout to demonstrate leadership of others while performing a project for the benefit of a religious institution, a school, or his community. And if you've ever been hiking around in different places, you might come to a place that has been uh, like on a trail, a bridge or something that has been built by Eagle Scouts. So Eagle Scouts are good people, good young men. And you would think, you meet an Eagle Scout and you, you've met a good person. That's not always necessarily true. Just being an Eagle Scout doesn't necessarily make you 
a good person. Now, most Eagle Scouts are good people, but I'm just, I was thinking about that idea and, and, and started looking up, okay, are all Eagle Scouts Eagle Scouts? Uh, do, do they uphold that, um, that honor? Mark Hoffman, he, was a, he is a murderer, a master forger. He was an Eagle Scout. In 1985, he pleaded guilty to murdering two victims with homemade bombs and was sentenced to, uh, to life in prison. He was an Eagle Scout. That doesn't mean all Eagle Scouts are bad, but that doesn't mean that all Eagle Scouts are good either. Charles Whitman, you might not know that name. Maybe you remember hearing that name several years ago. Um, he was a member of the he was a, a member of the Marine Corps, and one of the youngest people ever to reach the level of Eagle Scout status. One of the youngest people. But you might remember on August first, nineteen sixty-six, University of Texas. There's a tower, and shots started ringing out, and people started falling. Eleven people died. Thirty, thirty-one others were were wounded by. Charles Whitman. Just because you have a title and an honor doesn't mean that you're automatically a good person. But just because you're, uh, you, you have that title doesn't mean you're a bad person either. Someone calling themselves a Christian doesn't make them a good person. We've been around people calling themselves Christians for years and years, haven't we? Some of them are happy, ecstatic. They love life. They're pleasant to be around. Some of, some of us aren't so pleasant all the time. We call ourselves Christians. That doesn't mean that we're good people all the time. In fact, in fact, that doesn't mean we're good people any of the time. Someone trying to be a good person isn't guaranteed heaven. So the title of the sermon tonight is Good People. Well, who are we going to talk about? Who and what are good people? And it gets a little tricky at this point. Because you're going to define, if you're going to define who is a good person, you better do it right. You better do it with scripture and you better, you better nail that down because, and I say that because Romans 3.12, all have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So Paul's making an argument. There aren't good people. Now God can make a good person good, make a bad person good, but there aren't good people. Mark 10.17 Jesus is approached by the rich young man, and he, he's setting out on his journey. A man runs up and kneels before him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response is, why do you call me good? Which Jesus is good. Why do you call me good? He says, no one is good except God alone. No one is good except God. So who's good? Well, according to Jesus, no one except God. Who, who is doing good? No, no one. And, and his, who's good? It's not me and you. And we, 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 almost every sermon we refer to Romans 3.23 because it's true. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We're, none of us are good. None of, none of us are good. So if we're looking for a good person besides Christ, Christ is the best person that we've ever known in history of mankind. He is the perfect, the best person. Who else could we look to? So, so if we're, if we're going to have a difficult time, maybe we should look a little bit harder. But maybe, maybe we can stop with a man named Barnabas. Who is he? Well, he's the he of Acts 11.24. For he, Barnabas, was a good man, a good person, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord uh, because of him. 
And I'll get to, I'll get to that situation in Acts chapter 11 in just a few moments. But, but Barnabas, or son of encouragement, is, is, is defined or, or is shown to be, according to Scripture, a good person. So we found one. We found one. We can learn a lot from him if we allow ourselves to, Barnabas. What about him? What, what, what's so good about him? What did he do? Who is he? Description starts on the surface of 1124 and works inward if you think about it. He's a good man. Yeah, he's a good man. How did he become a good man? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. How did he, how did he get the Holy Spirit? It, it, it comes from his faith, and he acted on that faith and receives this Holy Spirit, and, 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 and that makes him a good man. So we're going to look at Barnabas for a few moments, and we're going, to, we're going to pay attention to how he can be an example to us as far as how good people should be, what they should do, how they should act, what, what fruit should they be putting out. How can Barnabas help us? So a couple of things I want to talk about. I want to talk about how Barnabas can help us see better, and I want to talk about how Barnabas can help us be better. To see better and to be better. So let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about seeing better. We need to learn to see people better and opportunities better and maybe ourselves better. Several years ago, we went to Highway 6 Walmart. I went to see the eye doctor and, and we were there. And so we were at Walmart. So Amy and the kids are off uh, shopping and doing things in Walmart. I'm at the eye doctor right there in the, connected to the store. And she dilates my eyes. And for some reason, when that happens to other people can do things after they get their eyes dilated. I can't. I can't see. I can't see a thing. And that's why you wear those, those dark glasses, because light just makes you blind. And so I, I get my eyes dilated, and they want to fit me for glasses. I can't see the glasses. I don't know what I'm looking at. I guess that's fine. But I don't choose one because I can't see. But I walk out from the glasses department, and I'm standing there just thinking, where, where do I go? What, what do I do? And then someone starts talking to me. Hey, Troy, how's it going? Hi. It's a female voice. I can get that. How are things? Fine. How's the family? How's Amy? How are the kids? She knows me. But I have no idea who it is because I can't see her face. But So I, I'm acting like I, I know her. But I'm not sure who it is. And then Amy, I'm waiting. Come on, Amy, find me. Someone find me and rescue me because I need out of this. And so Amy finally comes up. Hey, hey, Michelle, how's it going? Oh, it's Michelle, a high school friend. I needed Amy to be eyes for me. I needed Amy to help me see, so to speak, uh, see who I was talking to, who I was interacting with. And Barnabas does the same thing for Paul in Acts chapter 9. Let's look at Acts chapter 9, if you would. Acts chapter 9. We're going to look particularly at 26 through 27. And it starts out, and when he, in 26, and when he, who's he? Well, it's Saul. Saul. And what, had, what just happened to him? Well, he, he's, just, he's just gone through this experience of, of encountering Jesus and being blinded, and, then, and having his sight restored, and becoming a Christian, and, and being baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. And so, so his, his initial response, his thing that he wants to do, is go and join other Christians. And so, in 26 of chapter 9, when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. 
And they were all afraid. Why were they afraid of him in 26? For they didn't believe that he was a disciple. Why were they afraid? You know, someone can show up and say, I'm a Christian, and we might, may or may not, but I don't know why we wouldn't believe him, but there's no proof. But Paul shows up and he wants to be part of the disciples. He wants to hang out with the disciples. But they're afraid. So it's one thing to not believe that he's a disciple, but it's another thing. Why were they afraid of him? Well, he's been instrumental in getting Christians killed, getting them persecuted. He is one of the uh, one of the main guys that's involved in persecuting Christians, and he has license to do it. And that's what he's known for, and that's why they were afraid. And so he shows up. They're afraid. He, they don't believe he's a disciple. But, but who? Barnabas, son of encouragement, took him. Brought him to the apostles, the guys that you should bring someone to if they're claiming to be a disciple, claiming to have encountered the Lord, brings them to the, to the apostles and declared to them in 27 how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Paul's going and he's doing what he needs to be doing and he wants to be part of the, part of the disciples and um, he's not being allowed so Barnabas steps in. Barnabas sees helps people see Paul for who he really is. Very important for us to be able to do that, to help people see other people. I need that. I need people in my life to tell me over and over again that, no, they're not who, they're not who you think they are. They're, God's, they're, they're one of God's children. Don't judge them. Don't, don't be prejudiced toward them. Don't come up with your own conclusions about them. Just look at them. How, you, how God would see them. I need people to tell me that occasionally. And we need to be able to, peep, to be people who see people like that and help other people see them like that. We're in the world and we see, uh, we see people doing things we don't like and, and we want to condemn them. And, and maybe, maybe you know, that's our nature, but God sees them as, as his children and he wants them to be reconciled to him through Christ. So there's a great need to, to be able to see, to be able to help people see how people are. And so we need, to, we need to make the effort and take the time and reach out to those around us and, and let other people see who and how these people really are. Are they sinners? Absolutely. Are they separated from God? Yes. But does God want them to be reconciled? Absolutely. So much so. Desperately so. And so we need to help each other see that. Help each other see that. We also need to be able to to uh, look past ourselves, allow people to see us for who we are and let us know what they see. It's hard to listen to people tell you how good you are, but we need that. And out there in the audience, out here in this audience, are people who are, they just, they have that talent to encourage, to build up. I think, I was thinking about this, it, James 1 talks about look, looking at ourselves in a mirror and walking away and quickly forgetting uh, what we look like. But what about those, when you look in the mirror and you see how you think you look and then you see a picture of how you really look, it's always surprising to me. First of all, I think, who's that old guy? And then I think, um, where does hair go? And then uh, a few other things. Why does it look so goofy? And who, oh, that's me. But I think that a lot of us have a self-perception where we're looking at a carnival mirror through at ourselves through a carnival mirror you know what i'm talking about sometimes they're wavy and they make you look all squiggly and sometimes they're they're concave and they make you look look short and sometimes they're 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 poked out and so they make you look like tall and 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 lanky or wide or whatever 
but we have these crazy self-perceptions and we need people in our lives to find our, our, our talents and our, strong, our, our strengths, but also we need people to show us our weaknesses as well. We need, we need people to help us see what God has given us, provided us, and, and we need those people uh, to be in our lives and to listen to them. And so this is true at services as far as and making the effort to, to, to allow people to know that we see them uh, the way that we need to. We should do our best. When, when it comes time to people come and, uh, it comes time for people to come to our services visiting, like we had this morning. We had, we had several visitors. But one thing I noticed about the visitors this morning was they weren't the first ones to leave. A lot of y'all had surrounded a lot of those visitors. And you were letting them know a few things. You didn't see them as strangers. You didn't see them as people that you didn't want to come back. You were loving them. You were letting them know, hey, we're a family and we would encourage you to be part of this family if you so choose. Doing our best to make everyone who comes to this place feel like they belong here. And y'all do an incredible job of doing that. Because everyone who comes into the door should feel like I'm home. And people have said that. We, we talked about that. Uh, before the people have said, I feel like I just came home when they come to Graber Road. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, ability that y'all have to, to love people, to accept them into our services. So we see those opportunities. We see people, we, we allow other people in our lives to, to help us see people for how God sees them. And then we act on that. And we also take, take Barnabas's example in Acts chapter 11. We, we, I alluded to that in 24, but, but 22 and 23 um, of Acts 11. Go there, and we're going to look at that. There's a church that has been established, and people are excited about that, and they need to, the, the Christians in Jerusalem want to check this out. And in 22 of Acts 11, the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And so there's a church, and they want Barnabas to go check it out and to see what it's like and to see if it's really happening. And so this has to be a young church, an inexperienced group of people, Christians who, who may be struggling, and, and they, they may be trying to figure out how to do it right. And so they send Barnabas. You go check this out, the son of encouragement. And 23, when he came when he, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that, that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. What could he have seen in experience? What could he have seen? People who were, who were fumbling around and bumbling around trying to figure out how to do this right. What, what, what could he have, he have seen? Potential failure? Lack of leadership possibly? But what does he do? He gets excited about what's he, what he sees. What does he see? Scripture says he sees the grace of God at work. The grace of God. When he came seeing the grace of God, he was glad. And so what did he do? He lived up to his name. He encouraged them to do what? To, to continue with the Lord. So he doesn't see a group of inexperienced Christians. We need to be able to see. See, Barnabas took that opportunity to go check out these new Christians, takes this opportunity to, do, to encourage, doesn't judge them, doesn't, doesn't uh, you know, do a checklist. Okay, are they have the, do they have the right place to worship? Are they wearing the right clothes or whatever? He just gets excited because he sees this opportunity and he seizes the opportunity to encourage, 
to encourage. And so we need to do that as well. Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Let us pursue that. Let us build one another up to pursue. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean let us think about something of, you know, how can we encourage and build? Let's just contemplate that. No, it doesn't say, you know, go in the area and kind of circle it around and kind of look at it about your opportunities. Maybe you can take them. Pursuing, pursuing involves action and direction. And it's intentional to pursue something. And so, and so Romans 14, 19, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. In other words, let us seize those opportunities, look for, pursue them, and seize those opportunities that are before us to encourage and to build up. First Thessalonians 5, 11, therefore, encourage one another, build one another up just as you are doing. You're doing it great. You're doing it wonderfully, but keep on doing it. Let's do that some more. Opportunities, seizing opportunities. So Barnabas helps us to see better, see people better, see opportunities better, see ourselves better. Are we like that? Are we, he's a good person. Are we, a good, are we good people in that respect? He also helps us to be better, I believe. He helps us to be better. Go over to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Very interesting situation. I'm going to read, start reading in 36 through 40. I don't even have to set it up because um, you just read in 36 of Acts chapter 15 with me. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, they're together. He says, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas doesn't disagree with him at this point. He's willing to go, apparently. But he does want to take with them John, called Mark, 38. But Paul thought best not to take, them, not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them at Pamphylia and had not gone with them to work. What's he talking about? Well, in Acts 13, 13, Paul, I'm just, stay, stay at Acts 15, but in Acts 13, 13, Paul and his companions set uh, sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. John left them, John Mark, and returned to Jerusalem. He was supposed to be going with them, and he decided for some reason he just backed out. So Paul says, mm, not him. I'm not taking him. Now, Barnabas says, we'll go. We're going to go with you. Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's go and, and visit all these churches, all these places where we proclaim the word. And let's see how they are. I, I agree with you, Paul. But Paul says no in, in 38, not, not him. In 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with them and sailed away to Cyprus. So Barnabas takes off another direction with Mark. But I just wonder what's going on with Mark, with John Mark. Why did he go back? And it's total speculation, I think, on my part. But why did he go back? And the speculation comes in this way. How did he feel when he left them and went back to Jerusalem? How did he feel? 
And I wonder if he felt like a failure. And then again, speculation. And I wonder if he was disappointed in himself. Speculation. But I wonder how he felt when Barnabas is standing up for him. And I wonder if that helped him be a better person. I think it did. And I think whatever he did, whatever he went, because that's the last time that we hear of Barnabas in Scripture. And I think that whatever he did made an impact on the mind of Paul. Why? Because in 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. Bring him with you, for he's very useful to me in my ministry. When did that happen? How did that happen? Why would that happen? And I believe, and again, you're not sure what happened in between, but whatever happened, John Mark became helpful, necessary, uh, 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 and, and something that Paul definitely wanted in his life. What if Barnabas had said, again, it's just speculation, but you just have to wonder, I, I think, what if Barnabas said, Paul, you're right, let's just leave him here. Let's go on and leave him. I think, I think Barnabas was uh, John Mark's Johnny Lingo. <laughs> um, I, I read this story so many years ago, Reader's Digest, and it stuck with me, and I've probably failed. Several years ago in, in Reader's Digest, there's a story, Johnny Lingo and his two-cow wife. You ever hear of that? Johnny Lingo. So, so there's an, this is an island man, Polynesian man, and he wants to take this wife, and he shows up. He's, he's wealthy, and he shows up to this other island to get a wife. And, and he, there are all these women, and they're, and they're beautiful women. And he's walking around, and he's looking at them, and they're trying to get his attention. And Johnny, uh, Johnny's looking around, and, and he's being shown women. Hey, what about her? She's my daughter. Well, is she pretty? Yes, she's pretty, but she's not the one I want. And he comes to this woman, and she's not that spectacular looking compared to all the other women. And traditionally, there's going to be a, a cow paid for the, for the price of this bride. And so he finds this plain looking woman compared to all the other women. And he says, she's the one I want. And he's dissuaded. They try to dissuade him. No, 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 surely not, because look around you. He's, no, she's the one I want. Okay, give me a cow. He said, no, 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 no. She's worth two. She's worth two cows. Several years later, Johnny Lingo comes to, the, to that other island with his wife. And they don't recognize her. <laughs> Doesn't look like the same lady. She is adorned. She's beautiful. She has a smile. Her eyes sparkle. And people are saying, well, what happened to your first wife? And he said, this is she. I, I've, I bought her with two cows and I've treated her as a two cow wife. And I think Barnabas was John Mark's two-cow husband, so to speak. And I think we can do that for each other. I think we can do that for each other. He helped people be better. I believe he helped John Mark be a better minister, a better evangelist, a better helper to Paul, a better worker. And we can do that for each other. And we have the opportunity to do that all oh, so many times. I'm telling you, y'all are so encouraging to us, so encouraging.
And we've, we've talked about that. A lot of preachers go through this process of, of preaching a sermon that they've worked on and worked on and finally comes to the point where you present it and you think this, and I do this all the time, this is, doesn't sound like what I thought it would sound like. So what happens? You come off the, and it's not about you, but you do take seriously the responsibility and you do have a desire to present the word in a way that people would understand it. And, and, and time and time again, you step off that, you step, you go down the stairs and you stand there and you think, oh, I, I, I and you pray, I hope, I, I hope to, I hope God that this has, has touched someone, but you're also thinking it's not how it sounded in my head. It's not how it sounded when I put it on, on paper, but then you, but then you encounter you. We encounter you, and you prop us up, and you build us up, and you encourage us, and we need to be doing that for everybody. And, and again, Graver Road is so good at doing that. Someone gets sick, there's a crowd around them. Remember when we went to see Robin the last time? And uh, how many people were there before us? Did she say 14, 18 18 people had been there before us in one day. In one day. It's amazing because y'all are like that. You all are like that. Barnabas and John Mark and you and everyone else here. There's a need, you meet it. There's a, there's a pain, you take care of it. There, there's joy, you, you experience with us. You experience it with us. John Mark helped people to be better. Helped people to, I mean, Barnabas helped people to be better. Helped people to see better. And we need to be doing the same thing. I'm getting ready to wrap it up. But I want, I want to reiterate, Barnabas falls in the category of a good person. How do I, why do I say that? Because scripture describes him as a good person. And we look at Barnabas and we have to realize, you know what? I want to be like this. I want to get to this level. Well, how do I do that? Well, I better get down on my knees first. I better lower myself first and start praying about it. And then I need to stand up and look around and see the opportunities that God has set before me and take them. And then I need to work with other people and build them up and let them build me up. And we work all together. And then we give God the glory for what happens. Because Barnabas is a good person and we need to be like him. And, and, and we... In our lives, are we going to be remembered as encouragers, helping people to see people and opportunities better and helping people to be better? Or are we going to just be another person who called themselves a Christian and didn't do much in the way of encouragement, interaction, and things like that? Where are we? What are we doing? Where's the benefit? Well, benefit lies in this. When we're good people, according to what the Bible describes Barnabas as, other people are blessed. Other people are blessed and God is glorified. So, question for Christians. Do you want to help people see better? Do you want to help people be better? And are you? And why not if you aren't? And repent of that because that's what we're called to do. Build each other up. Pursue that peace and pursue ways of building each other up. If you're not a Christian, though, if you haven't been baptized in, into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, but you do believe in God and you do believe that Jesus is God's son and you're ready to confess that before men based on your willingness to repent, to turn away from those things that you've done that, that have separated you from God, if you're ready to take care of that so you understand that, you're ready to act on it, and you're ready to be baptized into Christ, then we're excited. 
more excited than you understand, and we would we would love to go through that process with you. If you're in the audience and you just think, you know what, I would like to know more about this process of becoming a Christian and being in Christ, we'll study with you and we'll take time to explain this to you based on Scripture, not our, our, our own opinions. So, so when we offer the invitation and you're ready to do that, let us know if you're ready for anything, that can, any need that can be met by coming down to the front, let us know. And if you're in your place and you just want to challenge yourself to change from where you are, do that. Pray about that and enjoy that change and people will be blessed because of it. If there are any needs that can be met by coming forward, let us know now as we stand and sing.